Good morning. Um, we are following in on our series with Steve. His, uh, well, Steve was speaking last week. Am I coming through? Okay. Um, so we were looking at the master plan. Can I remember what you were looking at last week? It's not a test, by the way. No? So the person you were focusing on last week was Lydia, um, and we're continuing in that, that theme or on those verses as well. So today we're continuing in Acts 16. So if you've got a Bible with you, you might want to dig that out and we'll read through. If you haven't got a Bible with you and you'd really like to read uh, the next bits coming through now. Oh, my crackly. I stand very still. <laughs> um, we're going to continue with Acts 16. Um, we're looking at verses 16 to 25 that are Bibles on the windowsill if you want to follow through. Um, but I'll read it out for us. And these are, the, these are the passages that we're going to be following. So it's Acts 16, 16 to 25. Just while a few of you are trying to uh, If you found yourself in church, a bit perplexed of why the microphones aren't working for me, and have noticed that you're feeling a little bit hungry, it is because this room stinks of barbecue, um, because we had a church from Bristol in yesterday. Use the microphone. They didn't use those microphones. You can't blame them. Thank you. Hey. Um, sorry to the people upstairs and online. So yeah, anyway, we're going to be following through Acts 16, 16 to 25. So as Liz said, this is a bit where we find, find Paul and Silas um, singing in a prison cell. But it says this. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them up before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. By advocating the customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in and attacked Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped down and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into a prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell. He fastened their feet in stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And that's what we're doing today, and that's what we're, we're stopping at. We're going to continue with the rest of Acts 16 over the next. But that is uh, that's our main verse. There's two bits for me, that really stuck out. Um, it's, it's verses 18 and it's verses 23 onwards. And that's really what we're going to be focusing on today, that, that idea of how 
in that situation. I don't know if you've got like a very sort of vivid and imaginative brain and when you read Bible verses, some of us do, and it's amazing. How did they sing in that moment? That's, that's the thing. And if you go through, and I have done this week, and, and dig through books, and if you've got a shelf like we've got in there with all of the commentaries, all of them will go in, and they'll tell you all the exciting bits about what was happening in Philippi at that time and why Paul and Silas were in the inner cell as opposed to a normal cell and what that means um, and how they would have beaten and be why they shouldn't have been beaten. But very few of the commentaries that you'll discover and read about will actually talk about what we're really interested in today which is why did they sing? How did they have fearless faith? Was this something that God had planned for them? And that's really what we're going to be stuck in today. It's not guesswork. Um, we've, it's, it's all built on theology. But before we get stuck into that, I thought we would go through some of the context because some of us do really like a little bit of exegesis, don't we? So some of the background as to why, why they were there. So we know that Paul and Silas are in Philippi because it says they're returning to the place of prayer where Lydia was. So when we read that bit in our, in our Bible. But the really interesting thing about it being a place of prayer as opposed to a synagogue is synagogues didn't need a lot of people to make them happen. Does anyone know how many people you needed to make a synagogue happen? Ten, absolutely. So this place of prayer, place of ten men. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Times have changed since then, but then you needed 10 men because men would have worked and you would have tied a tenth of your income and a tenth of your income would have supported the synagogue. That doesn't necessarily mean it was a big, marvelous building, but it would have been a place of prayer. Now, we know that Paul and Silas, when they met with Lydia, who wasn't a man, but they didn't have this, this, this synagogue. They didn't have anything to call a synagogue. We know that they were just by a river. But we know something interesting about the river. Well, it's not. It depends how interesting rivers get. And um, they get really interesting for some people. But the interesting thing about this river was that it would have been within a mile and a half of the city. Because we know that for a Jewish person to worship on the Sabbath, which is really, really important, you have to be clean and you have to wash. But you also cannot walk more than a mile and a half. So if you want a little fun fact about the river where all these people are meeting, it was within a mile and a half of Philippi. That's all we know. It might have been a place of business as well. And we know that Lydia was really into cloths, and that was how she made her, her money. And we know that she was quite wealthy as well. The other thing that's interesting, if you were to flick through to Acts 16, um, 16 to 23, is Paul and Silas's interaction with this demon. So they don't ignore the demon completely. It doesn't say there was this woman with a demon, she was shouting at them and they ignored her. It also doesn't follow the same sort of pattern that Jesus has when he interacts with demons or demon-possessed people in the Bible. So typically you would find that as soon as Jesus, or as soon as a, a demon would notice Jesus, they, there would be no deception, and they would call out, and they would say who they are, and Jesus would cast them out immediately. If you flick through back into Acts 16, Paul and Silas get rid of the demon when it starts to annoy them. It says that they were, it was following them around for some time. So they'd heard what it had said, and they thought, we won't, we won't deal with this. But it's almost as if this, this demon was being sarcastic, and it was mocking them, and they just they put up with it, they put up with it, and then they had enough, and they're like, right, we'll just, we'll just get rid of this demon, which shows a really human side 
to Paul and Silas compared to Jesus as well. Last little exegesis fun fact for us, and then we'll get stuck into the really exciting bit. Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens, um, which doesn't mean much to us today, but then it meant quite a lot. So they're in Philippi, which is a Roman outpost. It's quite a high-tension Roman outpost because of all of the stuff that's going on and people getting worried and, and wanting to remain in control of what was happening there. But it would mean certain things. It would mean that they couldn't be publicly beaten because they had to have a fair trial. They're Roman citizens. They're not slaves. They are free people with quite a good social standing. So when you think about the whole story that we're looking at today, none of it should have been able to happen. Because if all of a sudden this crowd, which is probably pretty angry and probably driven by the slave owners, um, masters, um, they could have just turned around and said, we're Roman citizens. You can't, you can't beat us in the street. You can't throw us out of this place. This is our place. They wouldn't have even gone into the, the inner cell of the prison. We're going to focus on three main things today. Um, our first one, if you're a noty person, you might want to write this down, um, is that the goodness of God doesn't depend on our physical circumstances, um, which sounds pretty detached, um, but we'll dig into it. So I'm really sorry if this is news to you, but the world isn't perfect. So bad things happen. We all know that, don't we? Bad things happen in our lives. We've all experienced pain. We've all experienced suffering. We've all experienced disappointment. And some of us just really, really horrific things. Now, as Christians, we generally believe that all of this happens because of a thing that we call the fall which is, um, if you were to flip back to the beginning of your Bibles, you go into the Garden of Eden, and there's Adam and Eve, and it's that process of humanity deliberately separating themselves from the presence of God by choosing what they think is their own way to walk. Are we happy with that, generally? It's quite a big concept to get your head around in five minutes, but if we just sort of take that as given, and if you do want to talk about the processes of that, um, Steve's available, um, no, um, <laughs> We, we would be more than happy to talk to you about that. But just, just that as a principle, the world that we're in, the world that Paul and Silas are in within this passage, the world we're in today right now is broken. It is not the world that God intended for us. It's not the world that he'd hoped and dreamed for us. Um, there's a phrase that we sometimes use in church. We use, sometimes say um, it's, it's a world of now and it's a world of not yet. So there's these moments where we see and we do see and we experience the amazing power of God at work in our lives. That is the now. Bits of God's, God's kingdom of heaven breaking through into our, into our world, into our reality. We see prayers answered. We see miracles happen. We see and experience God at work. But then there's the other side. There's a, there's a not yet. That's, that's the rubbish stuff. That's when when horrible things happen, when we see evil at work, when we see greed and death and suffering, the not yet of God's kingdom, because we're not in heaven yet. Now, I, I personally believe that our, our mission statement as Christians, if you were to have such a thing, is to chase after the now, to seek God out in those moments, to look for more of his kingdom in more places, to deliberately try and align ourselves with who God wants us to be in order to see that happen. But we still sometimes have that question knocking around in our head, don't we? If God is, if God is loving 
and if God is powerful, why do these bad things happen? God can still do good, this now and not yet, within that question. God can do good. God can do more than good, can't he? He can do the amazing. He can do the, he can do the miraculous. Those Holy Spirit moments, those times of encounter with God. But it can, feel, it can feel really strange in those times. I don't know if you've experienced it personally. But when we see God at work, it, it doesn't feel natural. And that's because it isn't natural. It's supernatural. It's God at work. And that's what we see happening with Paul and Silas. It's almost as if they've been transcended. So you can imagine they've been attacked. They didn't need to be attacked. They've been assaulted. They didn't need to be assaulted. They've been thrown in jail without, without trial. That shouldn't have happened. Then their backs are bleeding and all cut up from the beating. They've been stretched out because that's what the inner cell was like. So in the passage it said that their legs were in stocks it's also quite likely that their arms would have been pulled out so they can't sleep they can't lie down because their backs are hurt and they can't really move because they're chained up and then they're singing why are they singing and I believe they're singing because if you did read on you'll notice that there's quite a big hint that the Holy Spirit is at work in that place after they've sung the, the, the ground starts to shake, the chains fall off, and Paul and Silas are all of a sudden not prisoners. They're within the jail, but the doors have all flung open. They are no longer chained. The Holy Spirit is in that place. There's times in our, in our own lives as well where, where we feel... like we're prisoners as well. So I'm a bit of a, a, a non-conformist. I generally lean towards the Baptist evangelical side of things, which meant that as a, as a child, I didn't really have a lot of exposure to liturgy. Now, if you are Anglican, I think I missed out on quite a bit. There's, there's power in, in reading somebody else's words when they're in a place that you're not in, which sounds like a bit of a riddle, doesn't it? But when you are in that not yet place, that place where it's hurting, that, that, that really difficult place. To have somebody else's prayers, which is what liturgy is, can almost lift you to where that person was, to declare those words, to declare those promises, to know those truths about God. And I think that's really similar, not the same as, to what Paul and Silas were able to do within that cell. Those experiences, they're not the same, um, they are different to what Paul and, and Silas are going through. But if we, if we work on principles of what God is able to do, I believe that to be true for us today. Next point. Okay. These ones are a little bit shorter in case you're watching your clock, which I am. Because I've moaned at everyone else about overrunning before the kids come in. And it would be brilliant if I did exactly the same. So the next point is the, the paradox of our faith is, is key to our relationship with God. And that sounds really bookish. And I apologize. I'm not a bookish person. But we know in our world that there are, there are things that we believe to be absolutely true about God, aren't there? Because we've seen them. We've seen them with our eyes. We've, we've heard the stories of our friends of God doing fantastic, amazing breakthrough, big wow moments. But then we also, we also carry around this 
I don't know, sludge maybe sometimes in our own lives. This, this, some, some of us carry real disappointment with God. Some of us carry just pain and hurt from life. And that's the paradox. But if we engage with that, I believe something amazing happens. And I believe that's why, another reason why Paul and Silas were able to sing. Because that's a big question for today. Why? Why were they able to sing? They're cold, they're tired, they're hurting, they're stretched out, they're in a jail cell. Why were they worshipping? When it comes to, to our, our life and our faith specifically, um, we sometimes refer to like the struggles and the bits and pieces um, that happen alongside it as there's a straw that breaks the camel's back at some point. Um, for some people, if we, if we don't engage with this idea of, of paradox, I've completely lost my place. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, when our belief and, and, our, and our struggles interact with our faith, when we, it, it ignites something. I'm not sure if you've seen it, I'm not sure if you've done it yourself. Um, my job is talking to people about their faith, so I've seen it quite a few times. And it's, it's heartbreaking when people come to us with questions, these barriers that, that are just massive in terms of their worship with God, their, their love of God sometimes, and just their engagement with their faith. But when people acknowledge that and jump in with both feet, something amazing happens. And if you are in this place, we would really love to talk to you. When you see somebody um, surrender themselves in worship to try and hear God's voice speak into that question, when they, they go searching through libraries of big, big thinkers to try and find other people's thinking on this topic, when they just search for God and grab wiser, um, more prayerful Christians and try and find out what God is saying to them throughout this, this nonsense that they can't figure it's fantastic, and it does so much to their faith when they're just dug into their Bible, surrendered in worship and prayer, and just chasing after God's voice in that scenario. And I think that's why Paul and Silas were able to sing. Their faith had not been easy at this point. It was not easy to be a Christian. Paul was quite aware of that. Um, we're quite aware that Paul was aware of that because of who he used to be. But they had seen and they got evidence of what God had done in their lives They'd seen evidence of God pulling through in moments. They've had, they'd had times where they'd been beaten, shipwrecked, thrown out of cities, all of this stuff. And they'd worked out who God was despite that, or even who God was within that. There's, um, there's a book that I really like, and I really like it because it's about that thick. Um, but it's, uh, it's called The Singing Thing, um, in it, and yeah, I can lend it to you if you like, but that's not really the point of the sermon. There's a verse in it where, um, not a verse, it's not the Bible, it's a book. And um, there's a bit in it that says on one of the pages, um, and it's from a really, really brainy worship person. Liz will shout at me because she probably knows who they are. Um, but <laughs> it says this, and it, this bit just really stuck out to me. So it says, there's a very true sense in which if we are not enabled to cry, how long? We may never be able to shout hallelujah. There's a very real sense in which if we are not enabled to cry how long, we may never be able to shout hallelujah. 
And we talk about this a lot, don't we? We talk about it in church a lot. We talk about it in, in kids' church and youth church and main church and prayer meetings that God is with us when we celebrate and God is with us when we struggle and we say it and we say it and we say it. But do, do we feel it? Do we know it? If we were in Paul and Silas's shoes, would we be able to be shouting hallelujah or would we just be thinking Oh, my back hurts. Probably use some different words, actually. But um, suggest that our worship is enriched by our experience of life. Our struggle of life helps our worship. And it's because we're able to acknowledge who God is, not just because life is good. We're able to acknowledge God because he is good and life, life sometimes isn't. Last point if you're a naughty person. Um, nothing is significant when we compare it to the presence of God. I really believe this. Um, this is, can sound a little bit detached because you're basically saying the only thing I chase after is God. Um, my favorite book in the Bible, and Steve doesn't like me because of this, and not because he disagrees with it, he just thinks it makes me a really weird person. My favorite book is the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, do be in a, in a good place before you read it, because it is the most moany, grumbly, grumbly book um, in the Bible. Also, though, if you're one of these people that likes to put little Bible references in people's cards, you know, like when, maybe not a baptism, because this is a bit, bit too much. Um, but, you know, like sometimes you get a card from somebody and they put a Bible verse in, you never, well, if you're like me, you try and guess what it is, but you don't actually look it up. If you put Ecclesiastes 1-2 in, you will know if they've looked it up because they will phone you straight after. Um, <laughs> and they'd be like, why? Why have you put this in my car? It says meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, by the way. Um, <laughs> Ecclesiastes talks about life. It talks about, it talks about love. It talks about worship. It talks about who we are in creation. It talks about the sun and the sea and dust and stuff like that. But it basically talks about our human experience of living on this world, if you were to squish it really smallly. And then it basically says all of this, all of this human existence of life on this world without God is useless. And I can, I can say I completely agree with that. Life without God is is meaningless if you were to quote Ecclesiastes 1-2. So the main thinking, well, for me behind this is that, that when God breaks into our lives, it compels us to do amazing things, sometimes really weird, wacky, and wonderful things. Um, I'm sure some of us have got some fantastic stories of, of really silly things that, not silly, because that implies that they're not of worth, but really bizarre things that God has challenged either them or themselves um, to do in the past. I did um, something that people probably would have described as silly um, because of God. So it's, it's basically why I'm here today, not why I'm alive, why I'm in this church um, talking. I, when I grew up, I always used to say to my, my family, when, they, you know, when you're about eight and ten or up to about 15. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I always said, I don't really know, but I've got two things. And I'm sorry if you've heard this before, but I really think that it fits into this. It's two things that I think, think I want to do. I want to 
want to earn a lot of money and I don't want to talk to people. Um, <laughs> which is why I'm here. No, it's not why I'm here. Um, I, I never, really, never really knew what I was supposed to be doing, so I, I had this... Yeah, I just didn't really know. So when I was, when I was at school, I got offered a job at um, JLR um, doing some designy stuff because um, I won a competition. I didn't go and do that. Um, I then thought, oh, maybe I'm supposed to go and do something else. I like big toys, like anything with an engine, preferably two wheels. Um, that's my thing. Just don't let me near a knife at the moment. Um, and then, so then after that, I was just like, oh, maybe it's not cars and diggers or whatever. Maybe it's aeroplanes. So I applied to the RAF, and I got through onto that. And then I pulled out, like, the day before your fitness test, which is if you do your fitness test, you have to do basic training. Um, and then I pulled out of that. And, and the reason for pulling out of both of those things was a sort of weird sort of sense. And I hadn't prayed about it much because I wasn't praying much at that time. But just this real sense that, that no, it's not that. It's, it's not that. Um, and then, then when I was a little bit older, I'd done my A-levels. I'd got my offers at uni. I was going to go off and do product design somewhere, um, depending on where I got my grades. I got five offers, which was a bit weird. Um, and I was, at this, I was at a summer camp. It was a Christian thing, but it didn't really have to be there. God spoke to me in such a, in such a clear way and just answered all of my questions around purpose, around priorities, and said, it is this. And it, and, it, and it all made sense. God breaking through into that moment, the, the, presence of it, the presence of God in that place didn't compare to anything else, didn't compare to all of my careers as advisors, my grades. My grades didn't matter for Bible college, surprisingly. Um, so nothing was significant compared to that moment. It was this, it was a really powerful experience. And it wasn't uh, a lightning bolt. I wasn't like Paul, didn't get thrown off a horse and go blind for two weeks or anything like that. It was me asking a question after those initial, ooh, it's not that sort of feeling for the first two, two jobs. It was, it was me searching, me asking my mentor, seeking out uh, a better Christian. No, um, somebody, with a, somebody that had been praying a bit longer, somebody that, that could hear a bit more. It was, it was asking God. It was asking God again. It was asking God again. It was asking somebody else to ask God for me because I still hadn't heard. And then it was just this, maybe, maybe, just somebody coming with, with a word and going, maybe God's saying this. And it wasn't the word that carried the power. It was God's presence in that moment that, that made it stick. But there's a reassurance in knowing that you're doing what God wants you to do. And that's where Paul and Silas are. They've not gone in arrogantly. They've not thrown their weight around and gone, we're Roman citizens, you can't do anything to us, and we're going to say this. Um, that would have probably ended up slightly differently. They, they went in humbly and said, we, we're missionaries. That's what they were. We're missionaries to Philippi, and we're going to serve God, and we're going to love God, and we're going to try and show God's love to you. And they sought God's presence in that place. They sought God's presence in that place of prayer with Lydia, they sought God's presence whilst they were getting rid of the demon. They didn't just go in, throw their weight around and say, this is what God can do. They were there. It feels like they were there trying to engage with people. If you're going to take one thing away from this talk, and we are nearly, uh, we, we are wrapping up. Um, it's, don't, don't take down the notes of, of the, the 
the little headings. Don't take down um, the, the name of that book or, or ask me for that. Get, a, get somebody who's in church, somebody in your home group, a friend that you know that loves Jesus and, and will pray. Um, that's the only two requirements. Um, and ask them to pray for you. Ask them that you will know God's plan for your life, who you are and what you're meant to be doing. Just that, those two things. Those two things will, will change everything. It's a scary prayer to ask. It's, the answers are sometimes even scarier and they're not often what we expect. But being who, who you're meant to be with God, doing what God wants you to do, is our ultimate purpose. If you were to flip back to the Garden of Eden at the beginning, that was their purpose. Be with God, love God. So why, why were Paul able, Paul and Silas able to sing? They're able to sing solely because of the life of Jesus. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, they were able to do that. They were, they were provided with this opportunity. It's because of the, the powerful way that God had spoken through Paul's life in terms of his testimony and his conversion. And it's the way that he'd provided for Silas that they were able to build on those experiences, build on those truths that they knew about God and share them with other people. They're able to say that the goodness of God isn't dependent on their circumstances. They were able to say that because they'd wrestled with the tough topics, they knew who God was. And it's because they knew that nothing on earth was significant when they compared it to the actual presence of God in that place. They were able to sing because their faith had somehow become fearless, I guess. Shall we pray as the children, then they're late, that's what it is. <laughs> they're here. Right, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the way that you've spoken to us this morning, spoken to us through worship, spoken to us through, through your word in the Bible, and we pray for our children um, as they come in, that they will have heard your voice in their groups through their play, through their song, through the craft and the stories that their leaders have told them. But I pray this morning as we leave this place that we, we will smile because we've met you, that we'll know a little bit more about what it means to love you. Amen.